what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. For organizations looking to enhance their customer relationships, this is Stepping Up Service. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stepping Up Service. My name is Alan Jackson with the Jackson Group, a consulting and survey firm located in North Carolina. And this is a show here on the Mesh.tv where we talk about the world of customer service. We talk about best practices and delivering customer service to customers, employees, uh, visitors, whatever it may be, and have a little discussion on some different areas in that, in that field. Uh, my co-host, as always, is Ed Gagnon with Customer Service Solutions. Ed, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Alan? Doing just fine. Glad to have you here, as always. Uh, Ed is with Customer Service Solutions, where you can learn more about them at cssamerica.com. Find out all about the services that Ed and his firm provide for clients all over the place and in a variety of different industries as well. And I know we'll probably talk a little bit about some of the things that you and I both do, Ed, because today's topic is something I've got a lot more uh, uh, direct interest in as far as what I do day-to-day as well. It sounds like we're going to be talking about the idea of measuring customer satisfaction, correct? Yeah, that- that, that's exactly right. How do you gather that voice of the customer? What's some good strategy to use? And what are some of the key tools to, to build into that strategy? And, you know, this will be an interesting topic because we're, we're used to talking about best practice ideas and suggestions and strategies for improving your customer satisfaction and your customer service. But really, we're going to talk a little bit more about ways to systematically measure it. And I guess try to ensure that you're doing the right work, the right things with your customer service improvements. Um, yeah, that's that's exactly right. If you're going to make improvements, it, it helps if you know what you need to improve from the customer's perspective before you get started. Okay, great. So we're going to talk about some of those different processes and ways that you can measure customer satisfaction. We'll do that here in just a moment. Uh, before we get started, though, just as a reminder, if you find any of the topics we're talking about both today and in recent months interesting, you can go back and listen to any of our old podcast episodes for free anytime you'd like to. By visiting themesh.tv, that's T-H-E-M-E-S-H.tv, that's where you can go and pull up Stepping Up Service, see every single episode we've ever recorded, every single topic, download any of those you'd like to or play them right there from the website. We make it as uh, easy and free as possible to do. Uh, a lot of good information up there, so if you find a topic, find an area you're interested in, go check it out and uh, let us know your thoughts on the episode. There's also a whole variety of other shows on the Mesh Network, including business shows, sports, entertainment, film, music, everything you can imagine. We try to have a lot of shows to cover that on the Mesh Network. So go check that out. So, Ed, let's go ahead and start talking about measuring customer satisfaction. There's a lot of ways to do that out there. And, of course, I'm, I'm a survey guy. You know, Our firm does a lot of patient and employee satisfaction surveys for, uh, for organizations. So I, I'm very familiar on the survey side and look forward to talking about that. But I realize surveys aren't also the only method of measuring customer satisfaction. So let's go ahead and make sure we cover all the five you want to talk about. What's, what's the first one you've got in mind that we, uh, we want to share with the listeners? Well, the, the first one is going to be surveys, and then we're going to dig into comment cards and mystery shopping. We'll also talk about things like uh, uh, focus groups and intercept interviews. So uh, we'll, we'll get a good uh, listing of tools to go through pretty quickly for everybody. And, and when you're thinking about why you use these different measurement tools, I mean, one common understanding everybody should have as a starting point is that uh, the reason why businesses are allowed to thrive, uh, allowed to grow, is because they have revenue. And, and that's 
vast majority of businesses, especially private businesses, that revenue comes from customers. So if your customers are giving you the money, therefore, whose opinion matters the most? It's the customer. And so that kind of begs a couple of questions. Well, how do you get that customer opinion? And then how do you utilize that customer opinion? So the five tools we're going to be talking about today uh, before we actually get into the tools, just we just want to make sure everybody has the same understanding that these should not necessarily be done for the sake of doing them, but they should be a part of a voice of the customer strategy okay. where you're trying to figure out, okay, over the, this next fiscal year, this next calendar year, what information do we want to know from our customers at what points in time uh, to help us uh, in a couple different areas? For example, how do we get some evaluation from the customer's perspective about our employees, you know, their attitude, skills, and knowledge, about processes, how easy it is to do business, about the actual product or service itself. Uh, you know, we do a lot of work in healthcare, just as you all do, and I'm sure that you, you could probably reel off an example of, uh, well, what's an example of something that uh, the Jackson Group might ask a hospital about employee attitudes? Mm -hmm. For what, what, what comes to mind there, Alan? Well, a good question would always be asking about the employees is do they feel empowered? Do they feel like they're able to take action to fix things that need to be fixed for customers or visitors or family members? Yeah. So that's a great example, especially on an employee climate survey. Or uh, you could ask the customer as well, was the employee taking an initiative? Uh, were they very responsive to those needs? Or did it kind of give you the sense that they were having to go get approval for doing anything for you? Right. Yeah. So in terms of the purposes, one is to, to kind of give your organization, whatever kind of business you are, that kind of feel from the customer's perspective of what are those attitudes of the employee's life like? Is it easy to do business with us or the wait time? short and, and what's the quality of the product or service. Uh, a second reason why organizations do this kind of research is they, they want to build intelligence on their existing clients. You know, they, they want to, for example, increase the amount of information they have on demographics, uh, reasons why the customer would stay or reasons why the customer would leave. We do a lot of this with pro sports teams where they're really trying to learn about each individual season ticket holder more specifically so that they develop a retention strategy that is based on, well, what is Mary as a season ticket holder like about the experience, like about the relationship, why is she a season ticket holder versus Fred? You know, what's unique about them? So that's that second piece is how do we build our intelligence and knowledge base uh, on our existing customers? So it sounds like it's really, you know, if, if people look or organizations look at implementing a survey or some way of getting uh, feedback and measuring that feedback, if they're just looking at it as a, well, let's just find out how we're doing and, okay, great, we're good, move on, they're really missing a lot of the impact that these kind of systems can provide. And it sounds like getting to know your customers more and really allowing them to be part of that voice process is really how we ought to see these systems more broadly. Right. Yeah. You don't do research for the sake of doing research. You do research with a purpose. And, and two of the core goals or purposes that organizations have in doing this research, like I said, the first one is just evaluate the experience, attitude, process, product. The second is to build the intelligence on the customers. Uh, the third you already alluded to, continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. I mean, how can you know what to improve on in the customer experience or in the eyes of the customer uh, if we don't ask for that kind of feedback? Right. I mean, we've done surveys, and I know y'all do too. We've done surveys with local government where it's literally you're asking very similar questions every year, every other year, and you're looking at those metrics and saying, are they getting better or worse? How are they trending? Um, you know, what are some examples y'all do where you're looking for continuous improvement and trends with your with your clients? 
Well, we're always looking to see, especially in the healthcare field. I mean, we've got the, the national benchmarking out there where, uh, you know, hospitals are actually being, you know, reimbursed from uh, government agencies, uh, Medicare reimbursements based on performance of these, of these aspects. So you've got organizations who are putting a little bit more of a keen focus on how we're measuring this data and actually using this data for that improvement mindset which is nice to see. I think a lot of organizations, have, many of them try to use customer satisfaction as an improvement tool, but not all of them. Right. The ones that hadn't been, we're really just using it to say, can we feel good about what we're doing with our patients? Oh, okay, we can, good. Let's not worry about it again for a while. Right. And it's more of those organizations who are asking questions on a quarterly basis and getting trending information and really targeting those low-scoring areas and saying that's where we're going to spend our attention on working. And let's see if we actually make significant movements in the quarters to come. Uh, it really does become a great improvement tool if it's monitored and watched on a regular basis. Yeah, and that, that's a great way to, to look at it and explain it. It's, it kind of reminds me of a lot of clients we've worked with where they've said, uh, yes, we do surveys, and they think that's the end of the discussion. And then we say, well, w- what do you do with that data? Mm-hmm. And it's crickets. You know, they, they, we share it. Yes, but, you know, what do you do to actually make improvements? Uh, A good fourth purpose, fourth category uh, of goals uh, for the use of this research data is in planning, you know, decision-making, movement forward. Uh, Just to go back to pro sports, for example, uh, we did some focus groups with Miami Heat several years ago, and they were very unique. Uh, Instead of just having one-year season ticket holders, they actually had many season ticket holders on a three-year plan where you sign up for tickets and commit for three years instead of one. And prior to them planning out the next wave uh, of this three-year season ticket holder plan, they wanted to do focus groups, for example, with their current three-year plan members and and try to learn about what's working, what's not, what would potentially make you to get a little bit more enticed to make another three-year commitment instead of a one-year commitment. So that's the other method that or other purpose you can have in doing a lot of this research is instead of just saying, how are we doing? Instead of just saying, how can we improve or how do I build intelligence? It's forward-looking. You know, If I'm planning for the future, about to make decisions for the future, how can I learn from the customer's perspective before making those decisions? Right. So a lot of good reasons yeah. to be systematically measuring customer satisfaction. And I'll go ahead and say this too, just from our experience, especially for smaller companies out there, uh, maybe retail, maybe restaurants or so. So many times people think, well, as long as they're hearing good feedback from customers, everything's good. Mm -hmm. And as long as you get that anecdotal feedback, oh, I love you guys, you guys are doing so great. You can automatically assume that you're doing fine. And that's unfortunately not the way it needs to be handled. Right. You've got to have that systematic way where you're listening to all scope of people in your customer base. Because if you just let that one faction of people, that one customer, their opinions sway how you're doing as a business, you're not really getting the full breadth of information that you need. I see a lot of small companies overreacting to one, two people's feedback when really if they had gotten a more systematic way of getting that feedback from their patients or customers, they'd realize that maybe those people were just outliers and either they're performing a lot better than they thought or there are some issues that they're not aware of. Yeah. Yep. So if you're getting to the point where you are proactive, like you're suggesting with your clients uh, or with your customers and trying to gather this kind of feedback, uh, then you're going to go through one of these five tools most typically to get this kind of feedback. And and so when you as a a businessman with a Jackson group or anybody else as a business person is determining, well, what survey, what research tool do I want to utilize? Start with, am I trying to evaluate the experience? Am I trying to build intelligence? Am I trying to continue? 
continuously improve or do some kind of planning or decision-making initiative. Uh, and that way it helps to guide what tool you're going to use. Okay. Now, just have one other thought uh, to, to, to put out there prior to us getting into the five tools. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially this, Alan. I, w- I want us to come up with a, an imaginary business that we can say, now, for this particular type of business, why would we use this tool? And this gotcha. business – this business is going to be Alan's Restaurant. Oh, I'm in the restaurant <laughs> business now. Yes, Actually, you are. I, I, I think the restaurant business would always make me very nervous. I, I'm, I'm a very stickler for details, so I would imagine myself running around trying to run a restaurant. It would probably drive me crazy. I admire anybody pulling off a successful restaurant these days. So I like this being imaginary. It's probably yes. a better move for me right now. So Yeah, that's Alan's one of those things. Excellent. And and, uh, what type of cuisine would you serve in Elm's restaurant? (laughs) Well, let's see. There's got to be some really good hamburgers, really good pasta, probably some pizza, uh, banana pudding, dessert. Um, Let's see. London broil. Uh, Oh, good. Yeah, it's going to be a nice mixture. Actually, it's it's kind of a smorgasbord of Alan's favorite food. I think the restaurant would go over really well. I think people would. <laughs> I'd at least eat there every night. I would eat there every night. My father-in-law would come just for the banana pudding. Oh, so. banana pudding, man. Mm, that's one of my favorites. So. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to take Alan's Restaurant, and, and we're, we're going to go through some of these different tools. And you, yeah. you kind of tell me, why would Alan's Restaurant use this tool? Okay, okay gotcha. The, Good. The, the first tool is a survey. Maybe it's a web survey. Don't think about comment cards right now. I'm talking an actual formal survey numeric, via the web. Numeric data to questions. Exactly. Yeah. Telephone survey. Maybe it's even a hard copy that you mail out. Why would Alan's Restaurant uh, utilize a survey to okay. get that particular method? What do you think? Um, I, I think if... To me, a survey is, is the, the right tool if you're looking for a good, broad base of information about what you're doing. And you want to make sure you're reaching a wide assortment of your customers, and you want to make sure you cover a good, a broad assortment of topics. So if I just wanted to learn after my first few months of operation, what do people think of the food? What do people think of the service? What do people think of the, the quality of the, the location? What do they think about the price? then I'm going to want to get a survey from as many people as I think represent my customer base and give me that good set of numeric data that I can say, this is how my customers feel right now. Yeah, that's an excellent summary. So you've obviously done a lot of surveys, Alan. I've done a few. (laughs) I've already done four this morning. Yeah, excellent. And you've done over 450 for us. So I can attest to that. Um, But but that's excellent because you talked about several things. If you're going to use a survey, first of all, it's because you want to get hard data. You want to get numbers. You want to get ratings. You, You want to be able to identify a broad segment of your customer base that you can analyze and get a lot of different responses. You also want to be able to ask a lot of different questions, potentially, you know, where you can have very broad topics. You know, here, here's several questions about our employee attitudes and their interactions. Here's several questions about wait times or timeliness or service delivery processes. Here's several questions about ease of navigating our facility or the quality of our food or, you know, whatever the case might be. So uh, th- those are some of the reasons why you would gather this. It's also easier to analyze when you're dealing with a lot of data, a lot of quantifiable metrics. 
Now, the reasons why you wouldn't use the survey is, let's say you were trying to go real deep on one topic and, and you wanted to get a tremendous amount of subjective information. Now, you can get a lot of subjective information through surveys, but you can't really piggyback on comments from another person. It's, right. it's one person's perspective. They have to be willing to sit there and write all this information down or tell you on the phone. And, and your ability to really dig real deep on one specific topic uh, it is kind of difficult. So it, it actually is an exceptional tool. There are a few little drawbacks if you just go with surveys. Sure, right. And, and as I always look at with surveys we administer as well is that if the client or customer that wants to conduct the survey knows that they really want to find out more in-depth about this one thing like you're talking about, and it's not something that can easily be captured with a true-false rating, yes-no question, it's more descriptive, it's more talking about people's feelings or their emotions on things, surveys aren't going to capture that as well. You're right. Okay. It's more, I look at it more as if I know that I want to get from point A to point B over the next year, I want my business to improve between these two points. It's hard to gauge whether you're hitting those goals on subjective data. It's hard to say, well, I got five customer accolades last year and I got 10 this year. So we must right. be doing really good. You can't do that. Numbers and data is where you can say, we're at a 7.5, we want to be at a 9 by next year. And that's the kind of things you can measure with surveys. So, yeah, there are yeah. some give and takes on different applications, but you're right. It's the hard numbers. It's something you can benchmark against. It's something you can measure over time. Yeah, now something that's uh, somewhat similar to surveys is our second tool, and that is comment cards. Okay. I mean, I'm literally thinking you're in Allen's restaurant, and at the register, there's a comment card, or when you give the the, the patron their bill, you insert a comment card uh, into that bill. And if you were talking about comment cards, what, why would Allen's restaurant utilize that tool? Well, I think comment cards are a good tool, especially in restaurants or retail, where it's a point of service type of experience, because it's a good opportunity for somebody to right away give you their input before they forgot about it. Uh, you know, sometimes surveys are done after a client experience. They're done after a shopping experience, after a restaurant visit. Comment cards are really meant for that. I want your impressions right now as you're checking out, as you're leaving, as you get home. Tell us what you think. You can be descriptive on them. You can write a little bit more free form. But it's also meant for a very quick snapshot, like very quick, three questions in a big comment box. Tell us what you think. So yeah. it's a little different application, like you said, than, than traditional surveys. But it still gives you some good data points, and it gives you a lot of descriptive information as well. Yeah, and th those are great points that you made. You talked about it being more real-time. They're filling it out as they are experiencing it. You talked about it being very short. You know, you're looking for a general quote, piece of information, pretty simple. Um, they're relatively low cost. You just print up a bunch of cards, and and as people utilize them, that's when you're expending, uh, you know, spending the money on the cost. And they're very good, too, because when the – uh, customers right there, they know the employee that they interacted with. Oftentimes, they'll write down the employee's name. And for the most part, you can use those comment cards for employee recognition. Yeah. Occasionally, you can use them if you're trying to redirect or, or uh, you know, give some kind of uh, additional training or education to the employee. So there's a lot of good reasons to use comment cards. Well, plus, Ed, uh, if I could interrupt there, I think another, sure. another side benefit of comment cards, I mean, surveys the same way. But with the comment card, it's also an immediate visual reminder that that organization wants to hear from their customers. Mm -hmm. So even that customer that doesn't fill out the comment card or disregards it, there's still a little bit of a small marketing plug for your business by saying, 
we want to hear from you. We want to give an opportunity for you to do that. And so that's, to, to me, the comic card is also a nice little, by the way, we want to hear from you. And you kind of put that in their head before they maybe even leave the restaurant or the retail chain or whatever. So there's always that, that good feeling about that as well. Yeah, oftentimes in customer service, we talk about first impression, but that's a good example of last impression. You know, when I leave the restaurant, I leave this business, they cared enough to know about my opinion. Yep. Now, now, the cons with the common cards is uh, based on how you do it, sometimes you get a really low response rate. I mean, if you just stick the cards in the stand-up stand at the register, at the counter, you don't get a great response rate. Sometimes if you're relying on employees to some extent to distribute the common cards, it can bias the responses. You know, they might... Yeah, they kind of know who they want to give the card to. Exactly. <laughs> and if they call it a star card or something like that, then you're kind of biasing the kind of responses you're going to get. You're only looking for the positive. So, I mean, there are pros and cons with it. But it, again, it's one of those tools, if used correctly, is very uh, helpful as part of your voice of the customer program. The, the one other con I'd say with that, Ed, too, is that keep in mind when you have a, a comment card like that, it is, it is a self-selection process for people to take it or respond to it. They see the comment card. They make a decision whether they want to respond or not. Most of the time on those self-selection processes, you're either going to hear from your very, very positive people or your very, very negative. Right. And you typically don't hear a lot from those generally pleased or slightly displeased customers. So yes. it needs to be taken very subjective. You're going to hear more of the extremes. It's good feedback to use. I wouldn't base any hardcore research off of comment card data. But... Um, you know, it is some good information to use, especially, like you said, for the cost of just having them printed and available to hand out to people. You can't beat that kind of feedback. So, yes, good. Yeah, it's a great point. Good. Well, Ed, before we move on to our other three areas, I know we had five areas of sure. gathering uh, satisfaction or research information. Let's take a really quick break. And when we come back, we'll let Ed discuss with us the other three avenues for getting uh, customer satisfaction and feedback. And then we'll cap it off. As we always do, uh, Ed, do you have a, a customer service story we'll be able to share today? Yeah, sure do. Good, I do too. So we'll do that at the end of the show as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Stepping Up Service here on the TV. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Stepping Up Service. I'm Alan Jackson with the Jackson Group. With me is Ed Gagnon from Customer Service Solutions. We're right in the middle of a discussion talking about measuring customer satisfaction and several different systems and processes you can use or may choose to use Based on that, we've already covered traditional surveys, and we talked about comment cards just a few moments ago. We're running through a hypothetical situation with my restaurant, Alan's Restaurant, which I'll just tell you right now, thinking about it even during the break there, Ed, I'm much, much hungrier than I was, and I'm kind of <laughs> picking out what I want for dinner tonight, and it's going to be items that I would be serving at my own restaurant. So let's move on to our third system, though. Having got done surveys and comment cards, what's the third thing, uh, third process or system we can use for gathering uh, customer satisfaction data? 
All right, Alan. Well, well, you're serving that burger, that pasta, that pizza, that London broil. You're topping it off with banana pudding. Dad, what are you doing but, to me, man? I haven't had breakfast or lunch yet today. I'm starving. <laughs> that, that's exactly why I'm doing it, Alan. Just having some fun. Uh, so, so you have all this food that you serve on an ongoing basis. Uh, and for some reason, you're deciding to do mystery shopping where you actually have people coming in. Uh, posing as customers to evaluate your restaurant. Why would you utilize mystery shopping? Well, I think mystery shopping, I mean, mystery shopping is great for any business or industry where foot traffic, people walking in the door, you know, those kind of more uh, common occurrences happen. Because what a mystery shopping really can do is give you things that maybe the survey or the comic cards can't really elaborate on or give you as much specificity on it's just to me i think mystery shopping is it it produces some really good results in that you can really see top to bottom the entire experience things that you may not think to ask about in a survey a mystery shopping experience can capture the whole broad spectrum of everything that goes on with that and uh, you know everything from how the place looks how the business looks how the how you are greeted the sharing of information signage all those things a mystery shopping experience can really help you get so for a restaurant i mean it's perfect it's a really really good uh, good tool yeah and that's a great way to, to to position it i mean some of the benefit you get is similar to a comment card in that it's real time mm-hmm. but like you said when you talked about seeing the entire experience soup to nuts not to eat well i guess that's a restaurant analogy so we're good but but you, you get to see the whole experience very broad set of questions kind of like you were talking about with your survey example but you get tremendous amount of detail let, let me just tell you a real quick story uh that that'll kind of illustrate the benefit of mystery shopping uh there was a manager sitting at his desk uh, looking over his latest customer satisfaction survey and he was smiling he was very happy he was feeling pretty good about himself because 85 percent of the survey respondents said that they rate the experience with his organization as good or great. So he was feeling pretty good at 85 percent. Meanwhile, there were six customers at that moment that were in queue in his call center who had been waiting for more than three minutes. At that exact moment that the manager was reading that report, uh, so far that morning, eight people had been misdirected out of the call center to the wrong department. Three had hung up in frustration for having to deal with the telephone menu. Uh, Two customers were in the parking lot having an awful time finding a parking space, while two other people were lost in the building due to incorrect signage in the lobby, and they're desperately trying to find the right office. Two customers at that moment are waiting for their third day in a row for a simple answer to the question that they emailed one of the manager's employees and the employee had not responded. And then three customers are irate because they can't find the answers they want on the website. So the numbers, you know, 85 percent is not great, but he's feeling pretty good about it. Hey, 85 percent of our folks are satisfied, at least to some extent. But when when you think about all these other aspects of the experience, what's happening at that moment in time or what had happened that morning, uh, you realize there's a lot you could be missing. And the idea of mystery shopping is you get to see everything. If if I go to a restaurant's website and I want to figure out their location, I, I get a sense of, well, how easy was it to find Alan's restaurant on the web and how easy was it find to find directions? When I started driving there, how easy was it to find the location and find parking and navigate to the building? And when I walked in, was I greeted immediately? And what was my first impression of the facility, of the location, look and feel? And then you go through the experience with the attitudes, the food, the processes, and you get all this tremendous detail. So you really do get a lot of information at a very detailed level through mystery shopping. Yeah. And another thing I love about the process, too, is that unlike 
surveys and comment cards where you're kind of asking what you want to know from your, your customers. And it's causing them to think about those things in retrospect. Mystery shoppers, when you hire somebody to do a mystery shopping experience for you, they are going in with the sole intent of watching and looking for everything with this experience. Exactly. So unlike a passive customer that walks in a store and maybe they're only thinking about the greeter and then they just think about the menu and then they just think about the quality of the food, a mystery shopper is really there to look at everything and going in with already a critical eye. So you're going to get a lot more detail, a lot more of the true experience that you may not pick up on from every every, uh, customer or patient you talk to. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and the main cons with doing mystery shopping is obviously if you're hiring mystery shoppers to come in, you contract with a consulting firm to do all the administrative aspect and the reporting, it is more costly than in particular comment cards or some of the other methods we'll talk about. And it's typically not a statistically valid uh, as a survey because you might end up doing a half a dozen uh, mystery shops of your restaurant. And overall, you definitely get a good sense. But a half a dozen shops where you might talk to one of your servers twice, uh, a different shopper would talk to a third server. You know, you're not getting enough shops of individual employees to evaluate them. Yeah. But from an overall experience standpoint, you're really learning a lot of good detailed information. Absolutely. And, and, yeah. and on that same note with the con, just keeping in mind that since it is individual encounters and experiences, I mean, yes, you may have one day where you're completely slammed more than you ever are any other day of the year. Right. And that happens to be a mystery shopper coming in and evaluating it. You have to put it in a frame of reference. You have to know when this was going on, what was the situation surrounding it. If their service was extremely slow, yes, that's still a problem. Mm-hmm. But if you knew that, oh, wow, well, they were also here on a Saturday afternoon and that's our worst time, we know where to focus more of our energy, but we can't let that one experience necessarily brand our entire experience every single day of the week necessarily. So just right. a lot of... A lot of other information you need to put in conjunction with the mystery shopping experience. But I love the idea that you know, your staff, in a way, I think about these side benefits of doing these things. Knowing that there's a mystery shopping experience that could be happening. Yes. In a way, employees knowing that, it means yes. that they're automatically going to up their game a little bit more on a consistent basis. So I think there's another side benefit to it is, you know, you got to make sure you got to treat every customer as the top customer because you never know when it may be that mystery shopper coming in. Uh, just like at a restaurant, you never know who that one reviewer may be that's coming right. to review your food. So you want to make sure it's good all the time. You know, yeah, kind of yeah. And, and prior to getting into my fourth tool, you just reminded me of a story. We, we were doing for the very first time a wave of mystery shops with the school system. Okay. And we were planning the shops in the fall, and the shops are going to occur February 1st through April 30th. Well, the, the school system announced uh, to all the schools, all the departments, that they were going to be doing mystery shopping because they, you know, they didn't want it to be overly secretive. They wanted to be open about it, but they didn't tell them when it would happen. They just yeah. said this is going to happen. Well, in late December and in early January, my main contact with the school system told me, Ed, you wouldn't believe how many employees are calling me saying, hey, I got mystery shopped. And <laughs> they were asking this crazy question, and uh, you wouldn't believe. Hey, I knew it was a mystery shopper, but I played along. Yeah, well, right, right. the, the, the interesting thing is we hadn't even started the shops yet, but they were convinced they were shopped. And and good mystery shoppers don't do crazy things. It's just the basic run-of-the-mill things, and, and they're just trying to experience how you can handle it. Well, I think that, mystery shops are, are perfect for school systems, colleges, universities, going through their admissions process or, or marketing efforts. You've got retail shops. You've got restaurants. You've got all these places are perfect for it. Probably not as applicable to 
as much on business to business or more industry type things because, you know, again, a business may only have one or two new customers calling in every day. So the idea of a mystery shop may be a little more obvious in those situations, possibly. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, I'm sure there's ways to make it apply for just about any kind of industry, but I would say really your, your retail, your foot traffic, anywhere where you've got the general public interacting with you at any given time are absolutely perfect for those. Yeah. Yeah, we do mystery shops for both uh, those that are B2B and those that are B2C, business to business and business to consumer. But definitely 85 to 95% of the shops we do are business to consumer. Yeah. 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 Well, and then you can't disregard, you mentioned it early on, but uh, website audits and just online yes. marketing effort audits in, in mystery right. shopping. People think mystery shopping, you know, you got to be an actor and you've got to go on site and you got to play this part. Website audit mystery shopping is just as critical because you yes. gotta, if you can get somebody with a very critical eye to go look at your website, to look at your marketing material and act as if they were really going to be a customer, what are the issues that they're running into? More and more, we've talked about in episodes past about uh, having to use technology to serve customers and clients. We've got to make sure that stuff's working just as good as the face uh, uh, building in retail space is as well. So, yeah, we've actually had projects where clients, uh, community college, I'm thinking of uh, redesign their website based on a lot of the issues we identified through a web shopping project. And then they had us reshop it after the web was redesigned. So uh, de- definitely that's a part of the customer experience. So something you have to evaluate. Um, the, the fourth tool is focus groups. Why would Allen's restaurant as great as it is uh, need to do a focus group of customers? Well, especially with a restaurant, I think well, there's a lot of industries this would apply to. But thinking about the restaurant industry, sometimes restaurants and the experience of going out and enjoying food and the atmosphere is such an emotional experience. And sometimes people have really passionate feelings about what they like and don't like. To me, a focus group seems like a good fit because you want to get some people around the table and you really want to lead them in a conversation you don't necessarily know where the conversation may lead because you're kind of fishing for immediate reactions and ideas. And it seems like to me the focus group is where you want to say, you know, I want to hear from my customers. I want to hear what they think. I don't exactly know specific questions I may want to ask. I want to get more of a dialogue going that may point me in more specific directions. That's how yeah, I see and, it anyway. And that's exactly right. That's one of the great things about focus groups. It is dialogue. It is conversation. It is customers piggybacking on each other's ideas and say, oh, that's a great point, and, and this is where it happened to me, or this is what I would suggest. And and so you get that creativity and brainstorming. You Like you say, you ask more of the open-ended questions instead of asking for facts and figures. Very dialogue-oriented. Very good at digging deep on something. Uh, a lot of clients will do a survey, and they'll ask all those broad points you talked about earlier, and the survey findings will show that, well, in these one or two areas, our data is trending down or we're not hitting our standards or targets. That's when you have a focus group to say, well, what exactly is going on there that, that's getting worse and worse? Or what exactly is going on there that is may, makes this part of our employee experience or this part of our process or this part of whatever to be worse in the eyes of the customer? Let's dig deep, find out what it's like from their perspective. How are we setting and managing expectations? What is that experience like? And then it really helps you to uncover, you know, what are those real root cause more root cause oriented issues. Yeah. Um, We typically recommend that a lot after a, like you said, after a traditional survey is done and there's certain areas where the scores are lower than expected or they're trending down, you know, you could 
make your survey a little deeper and ask more follow-up branching questions. But honestly, sometimes the best way to get at it is bring in that select random group of past patients or customers or target market and let them really flesh out for you in person more what that, more what that issue may be. Yeah. Now, the cons for the focus groups are probably pretty obvious. You can get into group think, where if you have one person who's definitely very strong-willed or they're very loud and boisterous, they have their opinions, people can tend to follow that individual if you're not careful. And it's also a little bit hard to generalize all the results because you might be talking to six or 10 at the most, you know, 10 or 12 people. uh, And it's hard to generalize that if you have thousands of customers. So there's a little bit of a difficulty there. And and so you really need to have a great facilitator, somebody who does know how to keep them on track, somebody who does know how to make sure everybody gets their voice heard. uh, And somebody who is typically not the owner of the business, not the general manager, because they're going to be interjecting their own opinions. They, they, their biases might impact the responses they get. And also the customer might not feel as comfortable sharing if they know they're uh, being critical of that person, that facilitator's business. So you got to bring in typically somebody from the outside who's a great facilitator. Well, that, that harkens back to, I remember years ago, we've been asked to help videotape some other focus groups that some companies have done. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've actually seen some focus groups kind of go off the rails a little bit because they don't have the right moderator or they're not set up the right way. Where, you know, at the end of an hour of a focus group session, you basically came away with one idea that everybody kind of just all lumped on and kept building on. Mm-hmm. And nothing else was learned from that process. So having somebody good to facilitate it, keeping it focused, letting dialogue happen naturally, but not letting it get out of control, I think is right. kind of the key to it. There's a real science and magic to that. Yes. People need to understand that you can't, like you said, just get somebody from your office and say, hey, you like talking to people. Why don't we call some people in and you just talk with them? Yes. There's a lot more of specific, you know, a lot more of expertise needed in, in those situations. Right. Now, now the last tool that, that Alan's restaurant is considering yes. is in, intercept interviews okay. where, you know, people are literally leaving your restaurant and then you have a surveyor standing outside and they say, excuse me, ma'am, uh, you know, I work with this research company. We've been contracted to do some survey work for this restaurant. Do you mind if I ask you a few quick questions? Now, now why would Alan's restaurant utilize intercept interviews? Well, there are some advantages very similar to the first two items we talked about in that you've got your survey data. It's a little more representative because you're asking people as they're leaving and you're trying to capture as many as you can. So you can look at that data you collect and feel like it has some representation of your of your customers pretty good. You do get some of the open dialogue comment things that you would get from a comment card and it is immediate. It's pretty much, it's fresh on their mind. It's right there as they're leaving. So for those situations, I could see it being a good, it's a little bit of a hybrid of a lot of different avenues with more of a human touch to it as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. You get that candor, you get that real time response. You can get some data out of these folks. They can still do evaluations. You can maybe even dig in deep on a couple of the questions if you need to. You know, the, the cons are, Uh, Sometimes it can be low volume, you know, where you're doing a five minute interview and you get a lot of no's. So you might only end up getting, you know, five to six interviews at the most per hour, depending on the length of the survey. And you're paying somebody an hourly fee to do that. You're paying somebody to analyze it. So it can be a little bit costly to do it. 
Um, and, and the other thing as well, you know, you just want to make sure that when you're conducting uh, these different intercept interviews, you have somebody who is going to be uh, perceived as being objective and unbiased. And, and so the customer feels comfortable sharing this kind of information. So it definitely has a purpose. Uh, it definitely can give you some of that real-time experience. Um, and there, there are a few cons as well to consider with it. Well, and I think it's also going to vary a little bit by business to business if it really is the best approach to take for measuring. I think situations where a customer has a deep, deep involvement with the organization, maybe there's been a lot of money involved for them to buy the ticket or go to this place or whatever. I think there, I could see a little more value in asking them to spend just a couple minutes afterwards talking with you about the experience. If you're going in for a very quick sandwich at a restaurant and you get stopped on the way out <coughs> for a five-minute conversation, a lot of people may see that as a bit too much, as a bit right. overwhelming, you know, a bit too much involvement for just such a quick interaction at a store. Yes. So it's more of those I can almost see being more of a, if somebody has a longer experience with a cust- with a, a, a company or a store or vendor or more money involved in it, and it's just more of a high-level involvement, I can see those intercepts being a lot more meaningful. Um, yeah. So, so when you think about these five tools, they all serve a purpose. They all have pros. They all have cons. You know, we're talking about the surveys, the common cards, the mystery shopping, the intercept interviews, and the focus groups. Uh, and, and in determining which of those or even other methods to use, the, the key is to start out with saying, what is our strategy to get the voice of the customer? What information do we need to know and when from the customer in order to either evaluate the experience, our attitudes, process, and products, or build intelligence on our existing clients or continuously improve or be forward-looking, you know, planning, decision-making, that sort of thing. So uh, the organizations, the businesses need to identify what are our goals, and based on that, they can say, when should we do surveys, if at all? When's a good time to do the focus group? When do we need to do those comment cards or those intercept interviews or mystery shopping so that we're continuously building in the voice of the customer uh, into our business? Ed, is it safe for me to say that no matter what type of business you have, using one or more of those five processes is still key to your organization's success with customer service? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so even, because even somebody who's a little very, very small company, maybe a very limited number of customers, there's still value in one of those five processes to get better data and information and understanding of what your customers like, don't like, or need. Right. And a good way to think about that, to kind of illustrate that, is go back to that quick story I told where the manager was looking at his customer satisfaction data. Now, granted, he was using a survey, but but Focus said that he wasn't aware of. He wasn't aware of how many people had gotten off the phone queue. He wasn't aware of how many people had sent emails that had not been responded to. He wasn't aware of how difficult it was to navigate the building or navigate the parking or find parking. He wasn't aware of all these things that were going on. So you want to be aware of those things because last thing you want as a business owner is to say you know i haven't seen this customer for a while or our revenues are shrinking you know i only hear positives and yet our sales are down 30 percent and you don't know why well there's probably a very good reason why and the customers will tell you if you take the time to ask good all right so definitely i mean i i try i'm trying not to be too biased here with my own personal experience but uh you know of course i'm a big fan of surveys i think surveys yeah, you know, there's a lot of great applications to it, but I think the the process for gathering data, focus groups, mystery shopping, all those, just is extremely important. And sometimes the best organizations are those that have found a great system of merging and using the multiple vehicles 
to understand different dynamics of their customer. The survey may be your benchmarking that you're watching these numbers every month or quarter to see how you're doing. Mm-hmm. Focus group may be more research-based when you want to introduce a new product or right. you've got one product that's maybe not taken off like you thought. Uh, right. Uh, mystery shopping is truly to, I just want to keep everybody on their toes. I want the best performance in my employees. And I really want to understand that soup to nuts full experience a little better. You know, right. Some of these organizations may be using multiple vehicles to do this and you pull it all together somehow into a good picture of what your customers look like. Right. And in the end, I mean, we, we do a lot of strategy work with clients. Some of that's culture related, some of that's retention related. But if we ever develop a retention strategy with a client, we always try to tell them to view it as a research and retention strategy. So it's not just a matter of this is how we're going to retain, but this is how we're going to utilize the information that our customers supply on us to retain them. So be data driven in your decision making, be voice of the customer driven in your decision making as much as possible. Great. Very, very good information, Ed. Thanks so much for sharing your expertise on those areas. And, of course, uh, something I'm pretty passionate about as well is getting as much data from our customers as we can and how we use it. Now, of course, making sure we're using it is probably a whole other conversation for another day. Maybe that could be a topic of once you've got all this great data, what do you do with it? And uh, that may be – we could probably talk for another hour about that sometime (laughs) in the future. So, good. Well, listen, we like to close out our show by – traditionally anyway, by both you and I sharing a customer service experience of the month. This could be a positive experience we had recently. It could be a negative one or that we're aware of. And uh, it's just kind of helped put some good frame of reference and real-time stories to our customer service discussions. Ed, you got a positive or a negative one for us? Uh, mine's positive today. Can I go first then with the sure. negative so we can end on a positive note? Would that be okay sure. with you? Good. Yeah, that's great. Right. Mine, uh, and mine actually is not something that affected me directly, but it's something I've been made aware of in the last week or so that I think is an interesting thing that uh, hopefully our listeners can keep in mind when dealing with their customers. So there is a restaurant in town here, and I will not name the name of the restaurant or even the type of food. It's, it's not, not Allen's. It's not Allen's restaurant. Good. I will go ahead and <laughs> safely say that for sure. Uh, it's nowhere near the quality that Allen's restaurant would be serving in our community. Uh, but this particular restaurant, it's been around for a while. It's kind of a, doesn't have this glowing reputation, but it's also, you know, it's been in business for a long time, so it's doing okay. Somebody, a friend of mine I noticed on Facebook just this past week, posted a story about an experience they had at this restaurant. And it was an extremely negative experience. I'm not going to detail the particulars of it again for confidentiality's sake, but just suffice it to say they were very, very unhappy with this experience. To the point you read the story, you're like, oh my gosh, that was just bad. It wasn't just the food was undercooked or whatever. It was just the people were rude. It was a bad experience. So they posted on Facebook. Now, we can debate for a while, I'm sure, whether or not Facebook ought to become this public forum for people voicing opinions on whether they like a restaurant or not. But in this case, that's what happened. And it's out there. This person, I'm sure, had hundreds of people that were friends or followers, whatever, seeing this. I would check back periodically just to see how that conversation was going online. And what was interesting is it grew really quickly to where I've seen probably 40, 50 comments on this post now. Wow. People, for the most part, all of them echoing this initial story saying, yep, I had a bad experience there too. Or, oh my gosh, we should boycott them. Or, oh, we should do this and do that. Here's the thing is that this is all going on and never once does the actual restaurant itself jump into the conversation. Or... Maybe not visibly they should have, but it's very clear from this ongoing discussion that nobody has reached back out to the initial customer to try to do anything to fix the problem. So we've got this online fiasco going on for this company where you've got more and more people now reading
reading this story and now they're basically saying, you know what? I don't want to go to that restaurant anymore. It even hit me this morning. I'm driving by this place on the way to work and I've been known occasionally to stop in and pick up something in the morning. And immediately my first thought is, yeah, I'm not going to go there. (laughs) Um, So they've got a public relations nightmare going on in this little community. We're not a big city here where I am, but that's a situation where if somebody was being more active and watching their online presence and seeing when their name's being mentioned, you know, you jump on that quickly. You jump on and resolve it, whether you go directly to the person who made the comment and try to resolve it or smooth it over or do something, but to sit back and do nothing and let this keep building and building, it was absolutely not the right thing to do. Yeah. And that's interesting because like you say, that online fiasco is occurring and the business might not even know about it. That's right. And their business is going down the drain and everybody they see is smiling and it's maybe because everybody they see is a first time customer. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, but yeah, that, that's a terrible story. Just shows how important social media monitoring, which is something we talked about over a year ago is so important. Well, it just, it, it, it makes me sad because there are more and more companies out there that still don't quite have that understanding of what social media and online relations can do for you. So I feel bad for those customers, those companies that haven't quite picked up on how to search Facebook and how to look for keywords and how to find their name online. And yeah, these things are happening and they don't know it. I feel really bad for that owner of the business where it may have been one employee who just really ticked off a lot of people. And again, they're not aware of it because they're not getting that feedback directly. It's all happening out here in the cloud. Yes. And you got to find a way. You got to make sure you're always doing those searches and looking for your name and finding out if people are talking about you and then find a good, effective way to respond. Again, we talked about this before in a previous episode. So if this is a situation your company's facing or you're fearful of this facing, uh, I invite you to go back and find our discussion on online uh, using technology to manage customer service and keep an eye on that. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Interesting story. Sorry it was negative, but it was a good story. Well, exactly. That's why I said, let's go with yours as a positive because I want to end on an upbeat note here for customer service. All right. Well, this is actually a story I wrote about recently in our customer service tip of the week. And it's a really good story. I I was actually going to Houston uh, for the first time, never been to Houston before. And, uh, I had decided to use uh, this particular shuttle service. Um, since it was my first trip there, I'd actually, uh, and based on the timing, I had planned to come in on a Wednesday, leave on a Friday. So I had plenty of time to, to uh, get to the hotel after my flight, to get to the hotel on Friday, or get to the airport on Friday after my flight. And plus, this particular shuttle was a lot cheaper than taking a taxi. I figured I'd give it a shot, see what the experience was like. So I check in at the check-in desk, uh, was told the driver was in route. It would be more than no more than 20 minutes before he picked me up. He picked me up in 15 minutes. So that was a good start. But everything after that was not only good, it was perfect. Wow. Uh, the, the, the guy who uh, was the driver, Barry, he took my luggage. He suggested I sit on the uh, exit door side of the front row, you know, right next to the door in the van, because he knew based on the five people that would he would be driving at that point, that would be the first one to leave at the hotel. Very nice. Uh, he asked me if I'd been to Houston. I said no. He started raving about the hotel, raving about what's downtown, telling me where to eat. He asked me why I was there. I talked about I was working with the Major League Soccer team, the Dynamo. Well, he started talking about the Dynamo, talking about their new stadium, talking about the Minute Maid Stadium for the Houston Astros, and talking a little bit about uh, the football team as well. And it was almost like instead of talking to the shuttle driver, I was talking to a an executive with the Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. I mean. Oh. 
was going to say. It sounded like that. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of shocking. And, and uh, the interesting thing was he, he talked about when I was becoming back to the airport and, and uh, if I was interested in using the shuttle service again, he told me their 800 number. I still remember the 800 number. He told me I could go online and book the shuttle. He said, you know, it's really neat functionality where you can literally track the shuttle uh, as it's driving around town. Wow. And so I, I decided to do it just for the heck of it. Again, I had time. He told me to, to schedule it about three hours in advance. So I did that. And literally, uh, as I was doing my computer work in the hotel on Friday, I was tracking my van driving around Houston. And then with about awesome. 15 minutes before it was supposed to pick me up, I, I uh, went downstairs uh, to go get picked up. I got a uh, text, or actually it was a voicemail, and I think about it 10 minutes beforehand saying the van would be there in 10 minutes. The van was there in exactly 10 minutes. Picked me up, boom, I went back to the airport. So just if you want to talk about a synergy between an employee's attitude, a process, technology, setting, managing expectations, delivering on those expectations, uh, and they did it all at half the price of the you know the taxi, half the price of, of uh, the limo and all these other cars you could take. I mean, it was just amazing to see great customer service at a low cost. Wow. That's, yeah. that's impressive, extremely yeah. impressive. What I love about that, and this is something I hope people will just understand, the value of that kind of customer service, especially from the gentleman, the driver, mm-hmm. is, yes, he was selling the company, but he also was selling the city to the point yes. where, you know, you probably walked off that, that shuttle with a much, much higher perception of what Houston was going to be like and what yes. to expect than you would have otherwise. Yes. So not only playing up the town, the city, the area, because you know down deep, if you do that, your customers are more likely to come back to this city and visit you. And that's good for business for them. So yes, just all the benefits of that. And I always think it's interesting whenever an employee of a business tries to sell me on a feature, that would be something mm-hmm. I would have to go try later. You know, like he mentioned about the online capability. You know, yes. we get offered these kind of things all the time. All of us do as consumers. You know, how we're presented that information really helps dictate whether we're going to take advantage of it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're being given it as more of a robot ro- routine of yes, and if you go do this, you get this, and it's almost like they're just reciting a script, chances are a lot lower you're actually going to try it. Yes. Um, this guy sold you on this online feature, and by using the online feature, I can pretty much guarantee next time, Ed, you go to go to Houston, you're probably going to use this. this oh, definitely. Out. You're probably going to use yeah. this service. Yeah. So. uh it's so important to have the right people out there sharing your story and, tell, and getting excited people about, about what you guys do. Yeah, and they did it from, like I said, the attitude, the process, the system. And he knew that he would not be the driver taking me back to the airport on Friday. So it wasn't about him getting some kind of a bonus or him expecting a great tip on the drive back. It was about him just doing the right thing with the right attitude. That's great. Very, yeah. very, very good, good story. Yeah. See, I like this ending on that positive note. I there you want, go. I didn't want to end on the <laughs> social media nightmare for this yeah. restaurant. So I'd yeah. rather go on the positive note here. So, yeah. well, Ed, thanks so much for all your time today. Again, talking sure. to us about measuring customer satisfaction. Ed Gagnon, you can learn a lot more about him through CSSAmerica.com. That's the website for his company, Customer Service Solutions. They do some great work with organizations all around the country, helping improve the customer service mentality, the culture, the process, 
for a lot of organizations and helping you better understand your own customers along the way. I'm with the Jackson Group where we do some of the kind of surveys that were talked about earlier as well, customer satisfaction and employee engagement surveys for a variety of organizations with special emphasis on the healthcare industry. And you can learn more about our firm at thejacksongroup.com. That's T-H-E jacksongroup.com. And again, you're listening to Stepping Up Service on TheMesh.tv. Go back and listen to old archived episodes. Pull up them for free. You can listen to them on iTunes, uh, Windows mobile platform, Stitcher Radio, uh, or you can just go to the website and play them all right there on the webpage. That's TheMesh.tv. And go on there, post some comments if there are certain episodes you like or have questions about. And you can always drop us a line at our email address for The Mesh, which is info at themesh.tv, I-N-F-O at T-H-E-M-E-S-H dot TV. So for Ed and I, thanks so much for listening today. We really appreciate you uh, chiming in or and, and listening to our conversation. Uh, we'll be back next month with another Stepping Up Service, customer service discussion. Until then, take care. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.